You're listening to The Main Course, where food is serious business. Listen along for insights, strategies, forecasts, and thought leadership from the front lines of food with your host, Barbara Castiglia. Welcome to The Main Course. I'm Barbara Castiglia of Modern Restaurant Management. Today we're going to be talking uh, about our restaurant industry outlook, and our guest today is Kristen O'Hara. She's the managing director and group head of the restaurant group at Bank of America. So welcome, Kristen. So what's your outlook for the restaurant industry in 2021 and beyond? Well, I'm glad we're having this conversation now because I can say um, with some enthusiasm and positivity that I really think that this is, we're turning a corner, both from a COVID perspective for the nation, but importantly for our clients and their customers. Um, I think that in the second half of this year is really going to show some strength, both in terms of GDP growth, uh, as well as really turning the corner for most of the restaurants, in particular, um, the limited service restaurants, but casual dining also we'll see a resurgence as people get more comfortable coming back into the dining rooms and those um, limit, those full-service restaurants also continue to hone their takeaway business. Uh, so I really think that we're poised to um, have a, a really good couple of years for the restaurant business. Um, we still have some kinks to work out. There are still, you know, some quarters that flow into the numbers right now um, that are still hurting our, our customers and our prospects, but I'm really very positive um, going forward. So when do you anticipate um, that this will start to take off? It, we, we already see it taking off. Um, for the for, for the lim, limited service restaurants, they're already um, kind of almost back to normal, if you will. Um, that might be a bit of a stretch because their drive throughs are totally jammed and their in-room in dining hasn't come back just yet. Uh, but their same-store sales and uh, their their margins are very good. And for the, the, the states are finally opening back up, those states that were continuing to be closed. So when we see the states open back up, we see uh, the numbers immediately turn around uh, for our clients. And so, I, and further, those clients that are reliant on um, things like March Madness and um, other things that got canceled, for example, last year, those things are happening this year differently, but they're happening. And so with the opening of restaurants in those states that remained closed, as well as some of the um, the events that caused people to want to celebrate, to order food, to get together, that kind of thing, hopefully in small groups and safely, um, that it, that's coming back a bit. And so we think that's a, that's a big positive. And, we, and we've seen that throughout uh, the states that actually didn't close very, very much. And I would say the Southeastern and the Midwest um, experienced much better sales than, for instance, the Northeast and um, the West Coast, because we were much more closed in those regions um, than in the other regions I just mentioned. So what are some trends that you're seeing? You know, I mean, obviously, curbside pickup, takeout and delivery has been huge. Um, but what other trends are you seeing? Um, well, we are seeing increased adoption of digital platforms which are helping with throughput 
in addition to margins, but also very appealing to customers, whether it be the way they pay, the way they order, the way the, the um, restaurant knows that they're ready for, to pick up their curbside. Um, so I think technology is really driving or helping to drive those sales. And I think that it's very healthy for all those things that you mentioned, coupled with an investment in technology that I would say wasn't necessarily forced upon people, but certainly the acceleration was forced upon um, our restaurant base. And it was absolutely necessary to survive. And unfortunately, those that were able to do that really quickly are typically the larger chains. And so those that um, have suffered more are the independents, and, and we are seeing a lot of them not be able to make it. Um, hopefully, they can come back in a different form. Uh, competition is healthy. Um, but the independ independents don't have necessarily the backing or the capital structure or the deep pockets that we're seeing with um, you know the larger chains, unfortunately. So, um, and digital is... A, obviously expensive. You have to have people to run the platforms and you have to have training and uh, investment in equipment. Um, and that is something that we've seen with our larger customers. They've been able to roll those out quite successfully, both in limited service as well as casual. So you were talking about digital um, and how important a restaurant's digital space is. Um, and Obviously, they'll need to be more tech forward um, moving forward um, with things such as contactless delivery and payment, um, you know, or do you find that guests are now demanding these things? Uh, we do think that guests are demanding those things, um, especially given the environment that we're in. And that's what forced some people to jump in earlier than they might have wanted to in terms of the contactless payment. Um, and, you know, if they had a drive through, thank goodness because um, that made things a little bit easier. But I think people are very comfortable with con contactless payment. And um, further, I mean, this may be a little bit um, touchy for the customers, but you know, consumers, when they do use digital platforms, they do know that their, um, their information in terms of where they are, you know, when they're going to be able to pick up the food. It's for the convenience of the customers, but it also gives the um, the restaurant a little bit of a leg up in terms of intelligence on that particular customer. So it'll help the our customers, our clients, um, be a little smarter about their clients and their customers. And I think that the consumer will benefit from that long term. So what other ways are you seeing customer preferences evolving? Well, I mean, currently, and I think it'll probably um, continue on at least uh, at least this year. We are seeing not necessarily an increase in traffic by person or by vehicle, but certainly the the amount of food per car like, you know, any transaction is significantly higher than transactions had been in the past. And that's because people aren't just going, you know, because they're not, hardly any of us are traveling at the moment um, for business travel. And so it's not a single person going in there getting their lunch before they go into their meeting or getting their breakfast before they go into the office. Um, and and any, any other occasion that it might be a single person just um, wandering into a restaurant, it's really people uh, going to buy 
meals for their families. And so the tickets are much bigger with many more items. And so I think that's a consumer change that will probably go into the future, um, especially as more restaurants become open and there are more options with um, the takeout and curbside with more of the full service folks offering that. Um, I think that people will take advantage of that in order for a variety, but also because all these restaurants realize that um, value is going to be extremely important to people, um, but they're also going to want to get out. So um, I think that they will benefit both from this takeout uh, surge as well as in-room dining desires, as long as it's safe. So let's talk about safety. How important is the message of safety for attracting guests? So I think like we talked about on a question earlier, I really think, and this is Kristen O'Hara's opinion, um, I think it's probably going to be regional. And uh, I would say that the Northeast is probably going to be a little bit more concerned about the communication of how restaurants are going to be taking care of their safety um, and, and thinking of safety as well as the West Coast, those that have been so impacted by lockdowns and um, and COVID and, and been very concerned about it, I think they will be more attuned to what the restaurants are doing to keep everybody safe. The, the states and the regions that have really remained quasi-open throughout this pandemic, I think things are already starting to get back to normal for them. And I think although safety is a concern for a portion of the population, for sure, I think it's um, people are going a bit stir-crazy and getting out is more important to them than the, than the safety message in some respects. Um, so I really do think it's a bit regional. Um, but I think all in all, we're going to have to all comply with the laws. and um, But I do think that the fact that things are loosening up and vaccines are getting out there, it's all very positive in terms of a boon to the restaurant industry because people want to get out and socialize safely. So do you anticipate certain types of restaurants will be performing better and which ones would you expect that to be? So I I really think that limited service, meaning QSR, anybody with a with a drive through is going to continue to crush it, um, pizza included, um, because they obviously are are built for delivery. I think that uh, casual dining, those that offer really good value and are convenient and you know are up on both takeout as well as the um, the needs of what the indoor dining has to be going forward. I think that casual dining will come back. I think probably the riskiest segment, and I hate to say this because I'm a foodie and I'm a huge fan of fine dining, but I think fine dining will probably be last in terms of emerging from this, um, this pandemic, this cycle, if you will, uh, because I think you know business travel, uh, entertainment, that kind of stuff isn't going to come back uh, you know, until maybe third quarter, fourth quarter, and it's not going to be coming back in a raging fashion. So I think that's probably the lagger if, if there is one. What about the message of um, supporting local restaurants? Do you think that will help fine dining? Um, to an extent, but I think fine dining really does benefit from the business traveler and, and folks that, folks in general that do travel. So Yes, all of us want to support our, our local restaurants, um, 
but I really think that the drive, the the increase in, you know, being able to charge those large dollars comes from business travel um, because it's not something that somebody local is going to be able to do on a very regular basis. You talked about drive-throughs a bunch of times. So um, do you anticipate more drive-throughs and what does the restaurant of the future look like design-wise? Uh, so I'll take the drive through question first. Absolutely, there are going to be more drive throughs The question is, uh, how do land, how do real estate owners and um, those that have that sort of land, how does that work? Because a lot of these restaurants are already built out, so it would have to, you'd have to do some reconfiguring. Maybe some, maybe a restaurant needs to be moved. Um, but I do think that since there have been so many closures in terms of retail, as well as restaurants, there there has to be some capacity to provide for that. And I do think that franchisors are going to be providing. Um, incentives for folks to increase the amount of drive-throughs um, and I do think that you'll see drive-throughs more prevalent in spaces that we saw a few drive-throughs but maybe not a lot for instance Panera um, and I know Starbucks is is adding more so I think that we will see more non-typical restaurants have drive-throughs or at least better access for cars that don't want to um to use the in-room dining uh, option. In terms of how the restaurants will be set up, I'd say that limited service is really going to focus on that that really quick drive-through experience. And frankly, they've really honed their margins so that they don't really need the in-room dining component. So I wouldn't be surprised to see the in-room dining areas of new restaurants or remodels be smaller because they really don't need the space. Um, and then in terms of full service, I would expect that those that haven't already done so would probably be looking to change their models so that it's easy for the pickup driver or the Uber driver or the um, whoever's Grubhub, whoever is their partner in terms of delivery, um, a, a way that they can get to the kitchen fast and not disrupt the in-room dining experience. Um, and then also, I would think there might be some reconfiguring of the back of the house so that they can not... Um, affect what's happening to the diners in room um, if for instance their takeout um, business is booming for whatever reason I would there may be some folks that choose to have a second line that is only dedicated to the um, to the the takeout um, or pickup type portion of their business so I think that that, that can definitely change the configuration of of restaurants one of the trends that really took hold during the pandemic was the ghost slash virtual kitchens. Do you see that concept continuing to have an impact moving forward? I think so for the short term. I don't I don't know what my view is on um, ghost kitchens for the long term, but certainly as we are trying to exit this pandemic, we have heard of clients that potentially are, you know, renting out their kitchens, so to speak, um, to other concepts so that they can do their takeout business. Um, you know, I don't have specifics on who that is, but I have heard anecdotally that people do that. Um, and then in terms of just the plain old uh, ghost kitchen, I think that it'll work until it affects the consumer and 
all, there's always something that comes up, um, you know, whether it's, hopefully it's not something like a foodborne illness or something in terms of cleaning in the kitchen that, that affects somebody. But human error always comes up. And when you're working in a ghost kitchen, it's not the same culture, I don't think, as, you know, a a regular restaurant where somebody's going to come in and order food. So I I just think um, human error could, could be the, (laughs) the straw that breaks that camel's back. But I think that there's certainly an opportunity for them going forward. I just don't know that it's going to be hugely prevalent. You know, as we're moving to a post pandemic world, um, what should restaurants be doing now so that they can set themselves up to better compete? And that would be both independents and franchises. Yeah, I think, um, well, I think they have to be ready to deal with the influx of customers. And I think that's going to be tricky for everyone. Um, limited service already kind of has this nailed. However, there are very long long waits um, for some of these folks with drive-ins, drive-throughs rather. Um, so they're going to have to figure out how, how do I get the throughput to where it matches the customer demand and how do I manage um, the demand that I will get for in-room dining for those full-service restaurants um, so that folks aren't so annoyed that they just turn away and go home Um, you want to if you want to turn that opportunity into a customer that perhaps takes out if they can't get a reservation I think people are going to have to think forward on I really think it's going to be a huge influx of people that are dying not to cook their own meals. And um, so managing that influx of people and making sure that um, I think digitization has a lot to do with managing that, not just um, being able to communicate with the customer directly one-on-one, but also through um, the digital apps and managing the labor force behind the counter. Um, All of that, I think, you know, in order to address surges, the ebbs and flows of business, I think it's going to be all the more important as we see commodities rise, whether it's grain or beef, um, and you know, if it's fifteen dollars an hour that is is mandated, and we don't have tip credit, I think all those things factor into um, profitability for any restaurant. And I think that um, some level of sophistication and digitization is going to be necessary to balance all those needs. So they should be looking at their tech reviewing everything and seeing what they what they need um, in order to move forward. Correct. What other challenges do you see that they're going to face? Well, and I think, as I just mentioned, I think margins are going to be a concern. I think the good news is that, um, and I'm subscribing to my own, like, Bank of America's economist's view that um, potentially this year could be 6.5% GDP growth, next year maybe 5%. I think that is a huge positive for restaurants, um, interest rates being low, all of the things out there that are really good um, indicators of a healthy market, um, low interest rates, inflation's under control. Um, we've seen th- this the level of, of saving that folks have been doing despite um, buying consumer dur- durables. I mean, all of those things are still humming. Um, so I think all of that is really positive. I think that the um, the challenges for restaurants, as I just mentioned, are going to be managing labor uh, and managing the costs. Um, 
and it's not just, you know, grain and beef that we're talking about. And I'm mentioning that just because I know that those prices are going up. Um, I think that it's, it's also managing all of the extra costs as you do open up your dining rooms, that full service is really going to have to, um, figure out how to do efficiently, um, versus, you know, the, the QSRs that don't necessarily need folks coming into the restaurant. So that that's, and I, but I do think there's going to be an, a lot of demand for full service dining. I just think that their cost structure is really different. Um, so yeah, prices may have to go up. They're going to have to think strategically about how to make sure they maintain their margins. That's going to be a big challenge. So really, they should reach out to people like Bank of America to kind of help them realize all of these newer costs that are involved in running a restaurant? Well, I, I'm not going to purport to be an operator. I am certainly not. Our customers are much better at doing that than any of our bankers will ever be. Um, but there are things to think about. And when I talk about margins, you know, if your margin is, is you know, a little squishy and you're just not sure what's going to happen in the next few months to a year, you want to make sure that your capital structure is right. So that is also a challenge. Those that are over leveraged or those that are undercapitalized, that that's why, you know, kind of the, the larger guys are doing a bit better. You saw last year when the public companies were able to raise additional capital, whether it be debt, huge sums of equity, they were able to shore up their capital structures to make sure that they had the liquidity available to deal with the cash burn, whereas smaller restaurant chains and independents have a tougher time of doing that. So, um, and it, you know, that's where margins kind of comes into making sure you can t continue to have a healthy balance sheet to support your business, to support your growth, um, and to support any infrastructure needs that you have. You know, one of the other issues that happened a lot in 2020 um, was people who didn't own their own space, people who are renting their space and dealing with landlords. So how should they deal with their landlords regarding how they're doing financially? Oh, that's a tricky question, but I think most folks at this point have a very tight relationship or at least a lot of communication going on between them and their landlords. For franchisees, frankly, a lot of the franchisors are essentially landlords. Um, if you look at, you know, McDonald's and some of the other large chains, they do own significant um portfolios of real estate that they lease out to their franchisees. Um, so those kind of communications should obviously be often and, um, and open kimono type things. But, uh, you know, when you're dealing with other, um, other real estate investors, I, I don't know, that's, that's a different um, relationship when, especially if it's more of a, a casual diner that has one of those large um, real estate investors that they need to work with. Um, I don't necessarily think it's totally open kimono, but there has to be a symbiotic relationship because if the restaurant fails, then, you know, of course the, the real estate investor doesn't, isn't happy either. I think everybody has to work together because this pandemic has kind of changed everything. So what are you looking forward to? Uh, I am looking forward to a healthier um, group of clients. I'm looking forward to doing some new deals with clients that um, 
we haven't been able to, you know, bring into the fold because we were really focused on our existing clients for a while. We wanted to make sure that we had enough liquidity f- to take care of them. And we're beyond that now. So I'm really looking forward to doing some new deals. I'm looking forward to, I think, some opportunistic uh M&A type work, um, some capital markets work, potentially some IPOs down the road. I'm looking forward to some normalcy. And I really think that, you know, if we can lap over April, May, and even even June in some respects, I think that, you know, we'll be in a very different place and a much more healthy place. And we're already seeing that. So I'm, I'm really excited about that. And personally, uh, because I have not been out to a restaurant. I'm in a state where um, it's kind of not not cool to be going out to restaurants um, just yet um, due to the fact that the vaccines are really hard to get out. And um, But we're getting towards uh, herd mentality. So personally, I'm looking forward to going out to some of my favorite restaurants, and I hope that they're still open. Thank you so much. This has been great. Thank you. 